He heard the smashing of the underwood as the thing, whatever it was, rushed off into the impenetrable blackness of the forest and the night. This is Bob Demling, and you're listening to the Paranormal Porto. Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Thomas. Thank you all for being here and I hope you guys are doing great wherever you are and whatever you're doing. But I appreciate you tuning in and being a part of the journey here on the show with me. As always, please remember if any of you out there have experiences of your own and wouldn't mind being a guest on the show, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out via email at paranormalportalradio at gmail.com. I got a phenomenal show lined up for you guys today. This is a a personal favorite of mine, and it's something that I've covered before on the live show on YouTube, but I thought it'd be a lot of fun for us to discuss it here. And this is, it's the story that was recorded by Teddy Roosevelt in his book, uh, which was began writing in 1890, called The Wilderness Hunter. And in this story, he, he's met a, met a gentleman by the name of Bauman, who's a, a trapper, who shares a story of when he and his partner went up into the northern, northwestern Montana area and may very well have encountered a Bigfoot. It's an incredible tale. If you haven't heard it, it's definitely one for the ages, but I hope you guys sit back and relax and uh, enjoy the ride because I'm going to share it with you now. So buckle up. It's about to get spooky. skeptics of the Bigfoot phenomenon like to frame it as a new phenomenon that just kind of appeared out of nowhere with the discovery of some giant footprints in California. But in truth, anybody that has done a little bit of research even will know that the Bigfoot slash Sasquatch phenomenon has been around 
really for hundreds of years, if not more, thousands of years, there are cultures and histories that talk of these things way back. And so it's clear that this is nothing new, that it's been around for a very, very long time. Um, and there are some reports that have come into our, into our modern consciousness that were recorded in the 1800s. And one of the most poignant of those, I think, has got to be the Bauman story. And for those of you that aren't familiar with the Bauman story, it's a part of uh, a book that was written by Theodore Roosevelt, Teddy, um, back in, in 1890, uh, where he he chronicled all of his all of his journeys and such, and it was called it was called the Wilderness Hunter, and it's an incredible collection of tales. But one tale, which was recorded by Teddy himself from the mouth of Bauman, uh, who is the gentleman who was involved in this encounter, really captivates uh, the imagination and even instill a deep respect and almost horror for the events that transpired. And I find this tale incredibly powerful, not only because uh, it's, it is so old, but it's also the idea that this is when America was still very new as a country. And of course, the further West you went, the more rugged and unexplored the terrain was. And there was a, a whole bunch of people that were going west in order to uh, create their livelihoods, and that would be trapping and mining and so many other pursuits that led people to go west. And so it was a really largely unexplored uh, wilderness full of all of this incredible mystery and intrigue. In the book, uh, Teddy Roosevelt uh, identifies the creature as a goblin or a hobgoblin, but it seems real clear that this is indeed the creature that we've come to know and understand as the Sasquatch or Bigfoot of, of our modern world. So they were around and people did encounter them even back then. So the, the story is, I think, very powerful and horrible at the same time. And you, if you haven't heard the story, you're in for a treat, but it's, <laughs> it also does really illuminate uh, potentially real dark side of this of this being and and I think it's it's probably a good cautionary tale to anybody that's going out there looking for these things at least it's it's worth mental note it's also worth mentioning that as you look into this story um, from online sources and stuff you'll see uh, different references of where it's believed this has taken place. I've seen mention of northern Idaho, and I've seen also mention of uh, Montana. And I think that most would agree that it was over in, in uh, northwestern Montana. But it's somewhere in the neighborhood. And uh, I guess, you know, probably Sasquatch isn't real cognition of state boundaries, so <laughs> they appear wherever they appear. But at any rate... This is a fascinating story, and I'm really pleased to bring this to you, and, and hopefully you guys enjoy it, because you know this is one of the oldies, but as they say, oldies but goodies. So let's dive into it and see what you think. So the version of the story that, that I think is uh, one of the most complete ones that I've found online is coming from BigfootEncounters.com, and it's uh, in the classics section, and it's the Bowman story. So 
let's dig into this. And the article uh, starts off as presidential frontiersman, rough rider, Teddy Roosevelt, began writing his soon-to-be-published book in 1890, titled The Wilderness Hunter. The author writes of a grizzled, weather-beaten trapper by the name of Bauman, whose figure of a man reminded me of actor Robert Redford's portrayal of the legendary woodsman-tracker Jeremiah Johnson. Bauman, however, was German-born, lived all his life out on the early frontier. Roosevelt must have had some degree of belief in Bauman's tale to include his thoughts in his book. Before his legendary encounter, Roger Patterson wrote in his 1966 book, Do Abominable Snowmen of America Really Exist?, that he, meaning Teddy Roosevelt, was a hard man to fool with a wild tale. Bauman must have held to the story for it. It was said that he could hardly repress a shudder at certain points in the yarn, a yarn that was to become a legend at Roosevelt's unwitting recounting, weathering, and retelling for more than a hundred years, and will go on ad infinitum. One of Idaho's best-known horror stories, it tells the story of two trappers who set out on a beaver hunt in the still-remote alpine terrain of the beautiful Salmon River countryside. This portion of the Salmon River is located in the Bitterroot Mountains between the state of Idaho and Montana. To this day, stories of the Sasquatch come out of this part of the virgin wilderness. Roosevelt wrote that the previous year a trapper's body had been found torn to bits and partially eaten by an unknown beast, which left enormous human foot tracks in its wake. Bears do not leave human footprints. Overlapping bear tracks upon one another can be differentiated. Oblivious to what should have been a warning to the senses, these two men journeyed deep into the wilderness remote regions, moving campsites from one creek to another in search of satisfactory places in which to place their beaver traps. Here is that famous excerpt about Bauman from Roosevelt's book. Frontiersmen are not, as a rule, apt to be very superstitious. They lead lives too hard and practical and have too little imagination in things spiritual and supernatural. I've heard but few ghost stories while living on the frontier, and those few were of a perfectly commonplace and conventional type. But I once listened to a goblin story, which rather impressed me. A grizzled, weather-beaten old mountain hunter named Bauman, who, born and had passed all of his life on the frontier, told the story to me. He must have believed what he said, for he could hardly repress a shudder at certain points of the tale. But he was a, of German ancestry, and in childhood had doubtless been saturated with all kinds of ghosts and goblin lore, so that many fearsome superstitions were latent in his mind. Besides, he knew well the stories told by the Indian medicine men in their winter camps of the snow walkers and the specters, spirits, ghosts, and apparitions, the formless evil things that haunt the forest depths, and Dog and Waylay, the lonely wanderer, who after nightfall passes through the regions 
where they lurk. It may be that when overcome by the horror of the fate that befell his friend, and when oppressed by the awful dread of the unknown, he grew to attribute both at the time and still more in remembrance weird and elfin traits to what was merely some abnormally wicked and cunning wild beast. But whether this was so or not, no man can say. Hey guys, Brent Thomas here of the Paranormal Portal Podcast. We just wanted to take a moment to introduce you to the Paranormal Portal store. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, leggings, stickers, mugs, you name it, you might find it over there. So head on over to teespring.com slash stores slash paranormal dash portal and you too can help fund the Paranormal Portal Podcast. Thank you so much for all that you do and thank you for being a part of our Paranormal Portal family. still a young man and was trapping with a partner along the mountains dividing the forks of the salmon from the head of the wisdom river not having had much luck he and his partner determined to go into a particularly wild and lonely pass through which ran a small stream said to contain many beavers the pass had an evil reputation because the year before a solitary hunter who had wandered into it was slain, seemingly by a wild beast, the half-eaten remains being afterwards found by some mining prospectors who had passed his camp only the night before. The memory of this event, however, weighed very lightly on the two trappers, who were as adventurous and hardy as others of their kind. They took their two lean mountain ponies to the foot of the pass, where they left them in an open beaver meadow the rocky timber-clad ground being from there onward impractical for horses. They then struck out on foot through the vast gloomy forest and in about four hours reached a little open glade where they concluded to camp, as signs of game were plenty. There was still an hour or two of daylight left, and after building a brush lean-to and throwing down and opening their packs— they started upstream. The country was very dense and hard to travel through, as there was much down timber, although here and there some somber woodland was broken by small glades of mountain grass. At dusk, they again reached camp. The glade in which it was pitched was not many yards wide, the tall, close-set pines and firs rising around it like a wall. On one side was a little stream, beyond which rose the steep mountain slope, covered with the unbroken growth of evergreen forest. They were then surprised to find that during their absence something, apparently a bear, had visited the camp. 
and had rummaged about among their things, scattering the contents of their packs, and in sheer wantonness, destroying their lean-to. The footprints of the beast were quite plain, but at first they paid no particular heed to them, busying themselves with rebuilding the lean-to, laying out their beds and stores, and lighting the fire. While Bauman was making ready supper, it being already dark, his companion began to examine the tracks more closely, and soon took a brand from the fire to follow them up, where the intruder had walked along a game trail after leaving the camp. When the brand flickered out, he returned and took another, repeating his inspection of the footprints very closely. Coming back to the fire, he stood by it a minute or two, peering out into the darkness, and suddenly remarked, Bauman, that bear has been walking on two legs. Bauman laughed at this, but his partner insisted that he was right, and upon again examining the tracks with the torch, they certainly did seem to be made by two paws or feet. However, it was too dark to make sure. After discussing whether the footprints could possibly be those of a human being, and coming to the conclusion that they could not be, the two men rolled up their blankets and went to sleep under the lean-to. At midnight, Bauman was awakened by some noise and sat up in his blankets. As he did so, his nostrils were struck by a strong, wild beast order, and he caught the loom of a great body in the distance at the mouth of the lean-to. Grasping his rifle, he fired at the vague, threatening shadow, but must have missed. For immediately afterwards, he heard the smashing of the underwood as the thing, whatever it was, rushed off into the impenetrable blackness of the forest and the night. After this, the two men slept but little, sitting up by rekindling fire, they had, but they heard nothing more. In the morning, they started out to look at the few traps that they had set the previous evening, and they put out some new ones. By an unspoken agreement, they kept together all day and returned to camp towards evening. On nearing it, they saw hardly, to their astonishment, that their lean-to had again been torn down. The visitor of the preceding day had returned, and in wanton malice had tossed about their camp kit and bedding and destroyed the shanty. The ground was marked up by its tracks, and on leaving the camp it had gone along the soft earth by the brook. The footprints were as plain as if on snow, and after careful scrutiny on the trail, it certainly did seem as if whatever the thing was, it had walked off on but two legs. The men, thoroughly uneasy, gathered a great heap of dead logs and kept up a roaring fire throughout the night, one or the other sitting on guard most of the time. About midnight the thing came down through the forest opposite, across the brook, and stayed there on the hillside for nearly an hour. They could hear the branches crackle as it moved about, and several times it uttered a harsh, grating, long-drawn moan, a peculiarly sinister sound, yet it did not venture near that fire. 
In the morning, the two trappers, after discussing the strange events of the last 36 hours, decided that they would shoulder their packs and leave the valley that afternoon. They were then more ready to do this because in spite of seeing a good deal of game sign, they had caught very little fur. However, it was necessary first to go along the line of their traps and gather them, and this they started out to do. All the morning they kept together, picking up trap after trap, each one empty. On first leaving the camp, they had the disagreeable sensation of being followed. In the dense spruce thickets, they occasionally heard a branch snap after they had passed, and now and then there were slight rustling noises among the small pines to one side of them. At noon they were back, within a couple of miles of camp, in the high, bright sunlight. Their fears seemed absurd to the two armed men, accustomed as they were, through long years of lonely wandering in the wilderness, to face every kind of danger from man, brute, or element. There were still three beaver traps left to collect from a little pond in a wide ravine nearby. Bauman volunteered to gather these and bring them in, while his companion went ahead to camp and made ready the packs. On reaching the pond, Bauman found three beavers in the traps, one of which had been pulled loose and carried into a beaver's house. He took several hours in securing and preparing the beaver, and when he started homewards, he marked with some uneasiness how low the sun was getting. As he hurried toward camp under the tall trees, the silence and desolation of the forest weighed in on him. His feet made no sound on the pine needles and the slanting sun rays striking through among the straight trunks made a gray twilight in which objects at a distance glimmered indistinctly. There was nothing to break the gloomy stillness which, when there is no breeze, always broods over these somber primeval forests. At last he came to the edge of the little glade where the camp lay and shouted as he approached it, but got no answer. The campfire had gone out, though the thin blue smoke was still curling upwards. Near it lay the packs, wrapped and arranged. At first Bauman could see nobody, nor did he receive an answer to his call. Stepping forward, he again shouted, and as he did, so his eye fell on the body of his friend, stretched beside the trunk of a great fallen spruce. Rushing towards it, the horrified trapper found that the body was still warm, but that the neck was broken. While there were four great fane marks on the throat, the footprints of the unknown beast creature, printed deep in the soft soil, told the whole story. The unfortunate man, having finished his packing, had sat down on the spruce log with his face to the fire and his back to the dense woods to wait for his companion. While thus waiting, his monstrous assailant, which must have been lurking in the woods, waiting for a chance to catch one of the adventurers unprepared, came silently up behind him, walking with long, noiseless steps and seemingly still 
on two legs. Evidently unheard, it reached the man and broke his neck by wrenching his head back with its forepaws while it buried its teeth in his throat. It had not eaten the body, but apparently had romped and gamboled it around it in uncouth, ferocious glee, occasionally rolling over and over it, and had then fled back into the soundless depths of the woods. Bauman, utterly unnerved and believing that the creature with which he had to deal was something either half-human or half-devil, some great goblin beast, abandoned everything but his rifle and struck off at speed down the pass, not halting until he reached the beaver meadows where the hobbled ponies were still grazing. Okay, everybody, I think it's time we got to take a break, so don't go away and we'll be right back with more of the Paranormal Portal podcast in just a couple minutes. everybody and we're back and we're back at it here on the paranormal portal podcast buckle up we're going in mounting he rode onwards through the night until beyond reach of pursuit there is by the way a second passage in the wilderness hunter where teddy roosevelt may quite possibly have been describing a personal Bigfoot experience. He writes about how he and a friend were on a, a hunting trip in the state of Washington. They had contacted a Native American to guide them into a remote region. Their guide urged them to avoid a particular area due to some Native superstition that hunter-tracker Roosevelt held as utterly preposterous. In any event... Old Rough Rider Roosevelt, as, as was his way sometimes, bullied the apprehensive guide into taking them to this area anyway. They did not find any big game during that trek or other sign, but Roosevelt made a point of mentioning the very strange noises he heard at night while camping there. He did not recognize nor describe the noises, but he did give the distinct impression that they were unusual in his learned experience, and found them to be unsettling. Uncharacteristically, Roosevelt did not offer any explanation or speculation about the source of the noises, simply mentioned them and said no more about it. Odd for an author who otherwise went into such vivid detail relative to the animals he observed and hunted. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That is... The account of Bauman, the Bauman incident, as it's largely known. And I think it's an absolutely haunting tale. Um, all things considered, I have to say, and I think it's important to mention, because it would be easy to vilify Bigfoot and make them into just the unknown monster in the in the woods. Now, in most cases, most Bigfoot reports and sightings and encounters are are incredibly benign now this is again very early in our country's history and and 
by by that I, I don't mean that it didn't exist prior to us, but in our modern age, this is kind of the dawn of what would become the modern age. And of course, populations have increased substantially. People have continually moved civilization into the, you know, the entire reaches of the country. But maybe there was a time when the country was so new in our experience and it was so new that these things, these beings um, of the forest may, maybe didn't know much what to do with us. Maybe we were considered a, a real big threat and, and perhaps they did aggressively defend territories that had been part of their experience for, you know, time immemorial. So, would that be possible? Sure. Could it, could it, could their behavior have altered over time as our exposure became more and more prevalent in their world? And that could be as well. So perhaps this was a very early example of, um, what we understand to be Bigfoot meeting, uh, people from, you know, around the world. Uh, I imagine the native Americans were well-established in all of these areas, but they also knew to stay out of areas. Uh, as the story also mentions, you know, there, there were some areas, and, and many tribes across the Americas have areas that they just knew to stay away from. There was so many, uh, the people nowadays refer to those as superstitions, but maybe they're not. Maybe those are old warnings. Um, there's certainly plenty of... Uh, suggestion that sometimes the cooperation between Native Americans and these other beings was strained and perhaps they had problems between the tribes of people and the tribes of what we understand to be Bigfoot. Um, there are stories of wars that were waged and people being abducted and dragged off and never seen again. Um, so it is possible that through our proliferation of, you know, being a part of the entire uh, continent over here, that, that maybe their behaviors have become more of avoidance and less territorial. And this is just an early example of how they would have handled those encroachments in the past. But I, I think if these are really intelligent beings, and I believe that they are, then when people come and have problems, then more people come. And more people and more people, uh, and it becomes a, a much bigger problem. So perhaps they've learned that it's best to just avoid us because when one of us goes missing, all of a sudden a lot more of us come in to, uh, you know, to those areas. So perhaps that's why they've learned to be much more, um, much more subtle with their interactions and avoid us. Now, it also should be noted that sometimes they're... <laughs> They're not at all subtle. They just walk in front of cars and stuff too. So it's a strange enigma of behaviors that are attributed. And it's hard to understand exactly what's going on. Lots of theories abound, but at any rate, this is, this is what people have reported. Now, there are even more modern accounts of very aggressive interactions with what we understand to be Bigfoot. And, and I suppose that that's possible, that, that maybe they've been, in certain cases, they've just been pushed as far as they can go. There's nothing left but to fight back, and maybe that's the case. I don't know. Um, of course, all we can do is speculate, but 
there's so much that we don't know. There's so much that we hypothesize about and try to understand. But quite honestly, we just don't know. And I have no reason to believe that this story is not true. Uh, again, as it's stated in the article, Teddy Roosevelt wasn't a foolish person. And if he included it in his book, he must have been pretty convinced as well. So there must have been something that this was all built upon and to be included and to persist even to this day. I don't know that uh, Teddy Roosevelt's Wilderness Hunter is still a popular book, but it is a book. It was written and it recorded this event. And so it's kind of up to you all what you, what you think about it. But I, I tend to think it's a cautionary tale. But again, it, it might just be indicative of a species that really wasn't familiar with us, uh, uh, this modern version of us. And maybe was familiar with Native Americans and, and dealing with them, but we're quite a bit different. And obviously, uh, <laughs> we have a tendency to just go wherever the hell we want. Uh, and I think the Native cultures, the First Nation cultures, knew to avoid places. But in our hubris and arrogance, we just said, no, we're going there. We're going we're gonna to have that too. So I don't know. It's, it's very interesting. I think it's an incredible tale. I think it's absolutely terrifying as well that there was such wanton aggression. But I, the other part of it is is it, it can't be said that it was completely unprovoked. If you recall during the story, they, cite, they cited this thing in the, in the middle of the night and their reaction was, let's shoot it. Well, maybe they didn't miss. Maybe they hit it. And maybe that's what spurned the whole aggression. But it's hard to say. There is, again, one other consideration that I guess I would be remiss in not at least mentioning. And that is, what if it's just a load of, a load of garbage? What if it's just a fabrication? And that is possible. I, you know, There was only one person that knew whether this was an absolutely true tale or if it was absolutely garbage, and that is Bauman himself. But he did sit with Teddy Roosevelt and, and, and share this tale. Now, could it have been, hey, let's see if we can freak this guy out? Maybe. Could just be something like that. I mean, <laughs> everyone's experienced uh, stories of gross exaggeration and, and fabrication. So, I mean, it's, it's not impossible that it was that as well. But, again, it, it doesn't seem like it's too hard to believe. It seemed like this thing showed up. These guys were there. It didn't, it didn't know what to do with them. So it investigated, it got shot or shot at. And so it did what anything else that gets attacked would do. And, and that's to try to defend itself and defend its territory. So in an, on the surface of it, it is believable to me. But it's entirely up to you out there listening. What do you think? What do you? Is it possible? Is it you know a bunch of garbage? And if if you don't mind, if you have an opinion, please let me know. Um, again, I'm just an enthusiast. I don't claim to know. I'm I'm no expert on anything, but I love this stuff. I love these discussions, and I love that this history is recorded. And I don't know that it actually happened, but I don't know it didn't either. And it could be a very early example of interactions with a being that persists to this day. 
So, ladies and gentlemen, that's the Bauman incident. And I hope you liked it. Uh, I, again, I think these older accounts are incredibly interesting because they do show us um, that this phenomena is not new. It's not just because people have some kind of psychological fixation. This, this, these experiences are as old as our country and older. Uh, there's maybe much, much, much older. It's hard to know. But I'm just really excited to share that with you. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, please email me if you have any, any thoughts about it or any ideas or if there's more information out there about it that I don't know about. Uh, I just find things that I think you'll be interested in, and I hope I hope I succeeded. So at any rate, as always, I hope you love the show, and uh, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Okay, everybody. Well, thanks for joining us tonight. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you for tuning in, and thank you for all your kind support. As always, please um, let people know about the podcast. If you uh, have friends that are into the paranormal, cryptids, Fordians, topics, let them know about the portal. Maybe they'll like it too. Um, please follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash paranormalportalradio is the main group for the show and that's where you can find updates and information about things that are going on. Or if you're looking for any, any further information, that's a great place to start. You can also join the Paranormal Portal fans group. It's on Facebook as well, as is my Brent Thomas page. And, and of course, Don's Aether Archives is out there as well. So we love getting to know you guys. I, I know there's a lot of you out here listening. So reach out, say hello. Uh, additionally, if you would like to be a guest, please email us at paranormalportalradio at gmail.com. Or if you've got encounters of your own, but you don't like to, the idea of being on the show yourself, but you'd like to share your experience, I can certainly read those. So you can email those to the email address I just mentioned. So thank you, everybody. Have a great night. Thank you so much. Remember, we love you all. Be good, be kind, be nice. Take care of each other. Help each other out. Find the magic in every day. And remember to laugh as much as you can. Good night, everybody. Good night.